God's people said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday school. All right. See you later. Thank you. And moms and dads and aunts and uncles and guests and members, Psalm 23, the most beloved perhaps of all Psalms, one of the best known uh, passages in the entire Word of God, and uh, the shepherd's psalm. Now, the metaphor is clear, as we shared with the kids up here. We are his sheep, and he is our shepherd. The original recipients of the Word of God were primarily rural people. There weren't a lot of big cities with what we count as big city uh, industries in these days. There were farmers and shepherds, and yeah, there were cities, and people would go into the cities, but, and there would be merchandise sold and, and stores and things like that, but it was a really agricultural type of an environment. Not the case today. Most of us are from cities and towns, though some of you are from areas where people raise their own food, maybe farming communities, maybe uh, where they have herds of cattle. Or, or flocks of sheep, uh, or whatever. In fact, there's kind of a resurgence now. It's kind of an interesting thing. I think it's a, a good thing that people are using yards to plant uh, food and, and grow their own food and so on. Uh, so there's this new interest in it. And God is the author of both the natural world and the spiritual world. So the laws of God apply to uh, laws of harvesting, planting, harvesting, and reaping. Uh, you're not going to have a crop unless you plant. Right? I mean, you can't just say, well, I bought this, uh, you know, I bought this 10-acre patch, and boy, I can't wait till, till the fall comes because I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get some corn and beans and tomatoes. Well, if you don't plant corn and beans and tomatoes, you're not going to have corn and, and beans and tomatoes. You've got to do the planting. You've got to listen to the seasons. You can't plant at the wrong time. You've got to plant at the right time. You've got to do things God's way because it isn't Mother Nature who's in charge of all that. It is our Heavenly Father who is in charge of all of that because he is in charge of the natural law and the spiritual law. So his principles are true in either realm, and often there's truth that is applicable from one realm to the other, and that's certainly the case here in Psalm 23. But before we get into Psalm 23, Psalm 22 is right before that. Psalm 22 is the crucifixion psalm. If you're not familiar with Psalm 22, you ought to read it. There is no care there. There is no provision there. There are no pastures there. There, are, there, there isn't any, aren't any still waters or tables of food or promises of eternity, but there is in Psalm 23. Only after Psalm 22 takes place does Psalm 23 come in the order of the Psalms. After my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then we read, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23 contains just six short verses. Most of you could quote it, 118 words in the King James Version, a little bit different than some of the others. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, a man is what he thinks about all day long. Think about that. (laughs) And then you'll be thinking about what a man thinks about all day long. A person is what they think about all day long. Marcus Aurelius said, a man's life is what his thoughts make it. Thoughts are powerful things. Norman Vincent Peale says, change your thoughts, change your world. Don't agree with everything he said, but I agree with that. The Bible says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 23, 7. So reading and rereading Psalm 23 can change your life forever for the good. It's a pattern of thinking in these six verses. It is a positive pattern of thinking. It's a hopeful pattern for thinking. It's a faith-building pattern of thinking. So if your faith is weak today, 
Psalm 23 might be exactly what you need. If your hope is kind of waning a little bit, then Psalm 23 might be what you need. If you're overwhelmed with negativity, where's the negativity? I mean, you know, where? In the political world? Is there any negativity there? Eh, a little bit, yeah. Okay. If you're overwhelmed with negativity, maybe 20, Psalm 23 is what you need. A pattern of thinking that is inspired, infallible, and good. When people come to me for counseling, uh, quite often I recommend that they read either Philippians chapter 4 repeatedly or Psalm 23. Philippians 4 is known as God's psychiatry by an author, an author named Alan. Uh, so I want to give you a challenge for the next week, and that is read Psalm 23 three times a day, okay? Read Psalm 23, morning, noon, night, or if you want to read it three times in the morning, <laughs> get it done, whatever, uh, you know. But if you want to read it more than that, go ahead. But read the Psalm, to, and I don't mean just go, Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't mean like that. I mean meditatively, chewing on it, kind of getting out of each word what he has to say to us. And, and do it like a, you know, like a bottle and you take, oh, you got to take a pill three times a day. Take, read Psalm 23 three times a day, morning to night, uh, for the next week and see if it won't do something for you. Now, let's just look at, uh, we're not going to get through the entire psalm, but uh, I, I want to I show you some things here that I think are important. First of all, the Lord. Point number one, the Lord. The question is legitimately asked in today's world, which Lord? In fact, I was just reading in, um, in the Old Testament about, in the book of Judges, how that God had promised great blessings upon the nation of Israel as long as they didn't follow after false gods. If they followed the one, the true, the living God, if they got rid of idols, if they got rid of Baal worship and Ashtoreth worship and all of, the, all of that, if they got rid of that, God promised them there would be tremendous blessings in their lives. And yet what happened? In less than a generation, they turned away from that. And so the curses were brought upon them. And, and one after another, judge would be raised up to, to deliver them from oppression. And they would be all right for a little while. And they would lapse right back into the old style of going after false gods and having and, and worshiping that which is not the Lord. So the question is asked today, what Lord? There are people who worship the government. There are people who worship false gods. There are people who worship Satan, believe it or not. There are people who worship God, who they say is God, the, the, the God of Islam, according to the uh, derivative of, of who that is not the same as the God. God, Jehovah God, has, has a son. Uh, the Islam God does not have a son. Uh, God is a merciful God. Islam's God is not a merciful God. The God of the Old Testament, New Testament, is a God, is a personal God, interested in us personally, not so uh, with the God of Islam. So just, I'm just saying, I don't want to be controversial, but it's just true. Uh, it, it, the Lord is our shepherd, and it's relevant today. Literally, it means the existing one, and implied are the self-existent one. He doesn't have to depend upon anybody for his existence. I said last week, I think, well, there's only one absolute. There's only one sovereign. You cannot have two sovereigns. There's only one because one is all-powerful, and that means more powerful than any and all others put together. So we have one God, the self-existing one, the Lord is my shepherd. The proper name of, of, of God is Jehovah God as he reveals himself to the nation of Israel. And, and so no other Lord but this one. Later, Jesus would affirm the New Testament, I am the good shepherd. He said he was the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, he's the creator 
of everything. Did you know in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made? The Logos is Jesus Christ. The Logos is the Word, the living Word of God. This is the written Word. Jesus is the living Word. And he is the creator. He was the one in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was Jesus doing that in his pre-incarnate existence. He has always been. He didn't come into being 2014, 15, 16 years ago. Jesus has always been. When, when man was created, when, when Adam and Eve were created, God speaking said, let us make man in our image, plural. In the beginning, God, Elohim, a plural name, not plurality of gods, one God, three persons, three manifestations. How do you explain that to anybody? How, I, 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 if you understand the Trinity, I wish you would come and explain it to me so I can understand it. Because it's, 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 a compre- it's, it's, it's hard to comprehend. Three, and, three is one, one is three, but it is. That's what God reveals himself as. And so God created, and Jesus was the creator. In Colossians 1, Paul, through the inspiration of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit, said this, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the incarnate, visible image. You can behold him of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. He doesn't mean he was the first one born like we think of first. It means he is the originator. He is the cause for everyone being born. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. He is preferred above all things, and by him all things consist. You know what that means? By him all things are held together. The earth is spinning at however many thousand miles an hour. How come we don't just fly off? He holds us down. He put gravity here. Some of us are really secure with that gravity holding us. You know what I mean? Some of you I kind of wonder about. Maybe you're going to fly off. Not me. I'm, I got my feet anchored here. He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he, Christ, might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things on earth or things in heaven. So he is the one. He is the creator God. He is the, uh, someone said the Father is the author, the Son is the artist, the Holy Spirit is the agent. God, the Father, is the author, the Son is the artist, the Holy Spirit is the agent. So thus, the verse, the Lord is my shepherd. It links the creator, who's in heaven right now, at the right hand of God, with the creation. We are his creation. It links us with him in a personal way. The Lord is my shepherd. The clay with the potter, the mortal with the immortal, the human with the divine, the Lord, God Almighty. That's who your shepherd is if you know Christ. Second part of that is he's my shepherd. He is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, there's something unique about the construction here. I don't know if it's a big deal or not, but I want to point it out to you. The Lord is my shepherd. How many of you have, um, if you have a study Bible, look at the word the and Lord and is and my shepherd. Those words. Do you notice something different about the word is? Anybody? I can see it right here. It's different right here. Anybody else have a, is it different in any way? 
What's different about it? In italics? Yes, ma'am. It is in italics. What does that tell us? Well, if it's in italics, we emphasize it. Well, that's what we do in English. That's not what the translators did. When it's in italics, the translators, knowing there are three different places, at least in the Bible, that, that warns not to add to the Word of God or nor to take away from the Word of God, knowing that when they translated from Hebrew or they translated from Chaldean or they translated from Greek or, or whatever it is they translate from, they always, if they had to put in something, a word to make it make sense, they put it in italics. So you'd know by looking at it, okay, that word is, is not really there. So there is no is, so it matters not what the meaning of is is, to quote a former president. Sorry. Okay. There is no is. So literally, it says, the Lord Jehovah shepherds me. The Lord Jehovah shepherds, present tense possession, ongoing, present tense, ongoing, shepherds me. David here is a shepherd. David knew what he was talking about. David was brought up taking care of his father's flocks. He was the one who watched over him. He's the one who fed them. He's the one who prepared the, the, the ground so that if there were any poisonous weeds or thistles or anything harmful there, he got, he got rid of it first before he let them come and feed. He's the one who dammed up the waters so there would be still waters. He's the one who provided a table in the, midst of, in the presence of enemies. He's the one who had the rod and the staff and would drive away the enemies. He's the one who took care of the Lord. Jehovah shepherds me, David says. He speaks, David is a shepherd, but he speaks as a sheep. He knew the sheep would either prosper or suffer depending upon the shepherd, depending on how well the shepherd did his job. So what kind of shepherd is our Lord? Well, he's the creator. And I'm just quoting, I just took this number out of a science book. He's the creator of 250,000 times 250,000 stars. Sons. Like our son, only many of them are much larger than our own. What in the world are we talking about? 250,000 times 250,000? I didn't even, I don't think my calculator would go that high. God created. It's amazing. I know it is. I saw it with my own eyes. I saw the Star Trek movie yesterday. So I saw it with my own eyes. I know how amazing it is. There's a whole bunch of them out there. Whole bunch of suns, whole bunch of galaxies, whole bunch. I mean, space is, uh, is incredible. It seems like it's ever expanding. It seems like as far as we can see with whatever telescopes we have, the, the more powerful we make them, the further away we send them to take pictures, the more we find us out there. God is an infinite God. He's not limited in any way. And our shepherd is the creator of 250 thousand times 250,000 stars, each with a sun. Each one is a sun, big, larger than our own. Many of them are. When compared to the universe, we are less than nothing. For crying out loud, when compared to our earth, we're less than nothing. We're not even a speck on this planet. Compared to the people in San Diego, we're nothing. If we get down to the people in the room, okay, I can see. You know, we can see each other. So, all right, good. We have significance here. But, but the fact is that, that we are insignificant except that God makes us so significant that he sent his son to die for you. 
and he knows how many hairs are on your head. Granted, that's getting less and less of a problem as time goes on. He knows your name. He knows your innermost secrets. You put soil under a microscope and there's life. There are microbes. There are elements. I guess about a week, a week and a half ago in the midst of this heat wave, I started to feel like something would bite me. Then I saw little bitty ants. Little bitty ants. And then I saw they were everywhere. I mean, they came in. They, were, they started in the kitchen, and, and they cleaned up everything there, and they moved on to the bedroom. They cleaned up everything there. I don't mean they cleaned it up. They, 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 they just, you know, drank water and found food. And, I mean, they just were. I, so, we, you know, I started spraying, spraying. The only thing was, that was affecting was my wife and myself, who could, you know, coughing and breathing. And, uh, but so, so, I, so some, a couple of you ladies, thank you, whoever you were, when Pat was talking about this at the mops meeting, said, get this certain ant trap. Because we had these other kind little ant motel things, and we had them everywhere. And they were coming in, checking in, having a party, going home, coming back, checking in again. They were getting frequent flyer mileage on them. I mean, they were getting free nights and all that kind of stuff. And so it wasn't working. But someone told us about some different kind, and I'm telling you, for about three or four days, we had swarms of ants that would come, swarm. And then all of a sudden, there was just a couple of guys kind of roaming around like, not knowing which way they were going. I'm telling you, we, we, don't, we don't even begin to realize all of the life that's underneath us in the crust of this earth. The life, there are microbes, elements, things we don't fully comprehend, understand, the atoms and, and, and particles of atoms, and, and yet he's the one who created all of that. My shepherd created all of that. And he wants to be my shepherd. He wants to be your shepherd. He wants to be the one to take care of you. No one's better qualified. The government's not better qualified. No one is better qualified than the Lord. Isaiah 53, 6 teaches us that many reject his shepherding desires. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us are sinners. Every one of us wander off. Not one of us is better than another. We're all deficient. We're all defective. All of us have a past. And we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on us the iniquity. So he took another step because we wandered off like a shepherd who's counting his sheep, and he gets 99 in the sheepfold, and there's one missing, and he puts them safely in the sheepfold, and the Bible says he goes and looks for this one because this one is important to him, and you are important to him. So he wasn't satisfied with the fact that we had gone astray, but rather the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. So he died for you and for me to pay the price for our transgressions. So we're his through creation and we're his through redemption. He bought us back. When we got married, we didn't have anything. I mean, we didn't have anything. And so my wife's grandmother gave us some SNH green stamp books. Anybody know what that is? SNH green stamp books? I don't know. I can't remember, Pat. Was it like five books or ten books? Whatever it was, we, t- we took them down to what? No, it wasn't here. It was in 
Yeah, I wasn't here, though. We weren't here. We were, we were in misery, uh, Missouri. And, and so we went to the Redemption Center. Huh? Redemption Center. And we took these books of S&H Green Stamps, and we gave them to the lady at the Redemption Center, and she gave us some stainless steel forks, knives, and spoons. And we still have some of them. Through the years, they've disappeared. But we've still got some. We re, we re, so we're his by creation. He's the one who gave us life. No, no, I'm here because of my mom and dad. Well, you're here because of your mom and dad, but don't you know that God is the one who gives life? And he's the one who made sure that you are here and that I'm here. So he gives us life. We're his by creation. Also, though, we're his by redemption. He didn't bring in books of S&H green stamps. He brought in his blood and paid for our sins and laid down his life for us. And therefore, we are his through creation and redemption. But that's not it. He continually lays down his life for us. He is ever interceding. He's at the right hand of God the Father right now, interceding for you and for me when we mess up. He is guiding. He is working on our behalf. Now, I'm told, and I don't know, I'm not a sheep herder or whatever. Uh, I, I've never been a shepherd of literal sheep. But I, am underst- I understand that when, uh, in, in Bible days when they would get a new sheep, uh, that they would, they would mark its ear with a, with a sharp knife in such a way as to, it's kind of like a brand or a special way that they would do it that would identify this sheep belonged to a certain shepherd. It was a painful thing, but it was necessary. In the Old Testament, when a slave had served out his time for its owner and, and that slave was going to be set free, but he didn't want to go free. He wanted to stay with his owner and he, wanted to stay, he had family there perhaps and he wanted to stay there. So the owner then would pierce his earlobe, so showing a perpetual ownership. You and I are to be marked by the work that God has done in our lives, letting everyone know that we belong to him. When we go down to Shipwreck Beach in just a little while, and we have people who are going to be baptized. They're being marked. They're showing others, I believe in Jesus Christ. You can, you can put your faith in Christ if you're in a hospital room, if you're in a, if you're in a motel room, if you're in your home, if you're, you're, maybe your mom and dad led you to the Lord, maybe you were in jail, wherever you got saved, that's where you got saved. But when you get baptized, it's letting other people know. It becomes a public thing. It marks us. We're to go into all the world and Preach and teach and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So my question to you is, do we really belong to him? Are you and am I really in his flock this morning? Is he really our shepherd today? Then are we listening to him? Because what I said earlier, in fact, there's this thing on, on the Facebook, uh, YouTube deal where where, the shepherd, where they show the shepherd calling his sheep and the sheep don't respond to the voices of other people. They respond only to the voice of their shepherd. Is he really your authority and your owner? Or are you one of those sheep out on your own? We'll talk more about that in a second. The, the third thing is this, I shall not want. The Lord Jehovah God shepherds me, 
I will be lacking nothing. It's in that same tense. I am not ever going to lack. I am lacking nothing. How bold, how positive, how encouraging, how different from the way a lot of Christians talk today. If we had time, we will not want for rest because he, he gives us rest and refreshment and revival. He, he's the one who, who, who encourages us when we're down. I shall not want for leadership. He leads us beside the still waters. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I shall not want for peace. He gives that to me. I shall not want for protection. His rod and his staff comfort me. Because I know that with his rod and staff, with his rod, he can drive away the wolves, the coyotes, and those that would prey upon me. And with his staff, he can lift me up out of a dangerous place. I shall not want for comfort. He comforts me. I shall not want for sustenance. He feeds me. I shall not want for joy. My cup runs over. I shall not want, in fact, in verse 5, for anything in this life. And I shall not want for anything in the life to come, verse 6, because I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, this is good for David. You know, he was a king. Oh, wait a minute. Before he was a king, he was hunted like a dog by King Saul. Before he became a king, Saul tried repeatedly to kill David. Now, I'm going to offer something to you because a broader meaning here of want implies being content with the provision of the shepherd. He doesn't always, as people have told me for years, he doesn't always give us everything we want, but he does give us what we need. We will have tribulation. Jesus promised that. So if you're going through a time of tribulation, testing and trial right now, preacher, I, I shall not want, but here I am, I'm going through this. Well, what did Jesus go through? He was crucified. He was rejected before that. He was spat upon. His beard was plucked out. He was beaten. He was crowned with thorns. Do you and I expect better from that at the hands of the world? He says, you will have tribulation, but he says this, be of good cheer for he has overcome the world and we will one day overcome this world. So this promise I'm going to offer to you, and I hope I'm not just drawing any of the meaning here the promise doesn't mean we will never want from physical or material things it doesn't mean we will always have every single thing we want every single thing we would like it just means he's going to take care of us and he will provide for us and having provided for us what he gives us let us be content contentment you know what paul said about contentment godliness with contentment is great gain Godliness with contentment is great gain. We are entirely dependent on the care provided by our shepherd. The good shepherd provides good care. The hireling, you, know, you ever heard of a hireling? You ever read about a hireling? Someone who was hired to watch over the flocks, they weren't really the shepherds. They were, they were hired to do a job, and when danger came, they took off. They beat feet because it wasn't their sheep. They weren't going to risk their lives protecting somebody else's sheep. The hireling is an imposter, provides poor care. The shepherd, our shepherd, is incredible. I read a story years ago. It's always stuck with me. Right after World War II, 
There were many, many orphans in Europe, many, many, many more than here because of the bombings, because of the, the brutality of war itself. And, and so the Allies rounded them up and placed them in large camps where they could be housed and fed and clothed and taken care of. However, they found that the children would not sleep well at night, having been through whatever. Now we'd call it PTSD, I'm sure. It was still present then. They just didn't have a name for it for these kids. Or they, and for the soldiers coming back, it was shell shock or something like that. But it, it's always been traumatized people. Anybody who's been in battle, I think, and if you've been in battle, I'm just going to say something. I may be wrong, but I think anybody who's been through battle and seen it close up and personal has some degree of trauma and stress with it to see some of this stuff. But these kids couldn't sleep well at night. So a psychiatrist came upon an idea. Uh, these children were given food to eat at night, but then they were, they were told they could have as much as they needed and they wanted, but then they were told, hold one piece of bread. Don't eat one piece of bread. Save it for in the morning. And they found out to their amazement that when they had the kids hang on to a piece of bread so that they knew they'd have something to eat tomorrow, they slept better. They slept through the night. Something to eat in the morning allowed them to sleep soundly. Let me tell you something. The Lord provides all of our needs. When we wake up in the morning, no matter how traumatized we are the night before, he will still be there. He will take care of us. The good shepherd makes sure that his sheep have adequate food and water and protection and rest. The hireling doesn't care about any of that. The psalm doesn't begin with a petition, Lord, please do this or that, but it begins with a statement, the Lord is my shepherd. We don't have to beg God for our needs. For the Father knows what things you have need of before you ask him, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He knows that we would need things. uh, I personally believe in in creation, I believe it's a a young earth theory. I, I believe that it's a young earth. And I believe God put coal and oil and natural gas in the crust of the earth for our benefit. I believe he made the soil to be fertile and, and seeds to reproduce and, 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 and abundance for food. You put in a couple of kernels of corn, you get a stalk with three or four ears with a couple of thousand grains on each ear. I mean, that's the law of, of sowing and harvesting and, and, and God multiplying. His management of us, I believe, is impeccable without fault. I am completely satisfied with my shepherds taking care of me. He delights in his flock. Do you know that the shepherd would, would develop relationships? He would often name all of his sheep and he would, he would have them around as, as almost like pets. And there's one of the parables that our Savior told about a man who had one sheep and someone else who had a lot. And when, when this one who had a lot of sheep had guests, he sent and got this one sheep from this man who, he, who this shepherd loved like, 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 a, like his own child. And God pronounced, Jesus pronounced judgment on that guy because he took this one sheep that he had. He delights in his flock. He gave himself for it. And he continues to do so from dawn till dark and beyond. When we're asleep, he stands guard over us. The greatest source of human worry is about tomorrow. It's about the future. We mostly worry about things, by the way, that never happen. <laughs> you say, well, preacher, I, I, something happened to me. I worried about it and it happened. Okay, but there's a lot of things you and I worry about that doesn't happen. The women on Easter Sunday morning missed the beauty of the sunrise, the singing of the birds, because they were worried about who was going to roll the stone away when they got to the tomb. And when they got there, guess what? Stone was already rolled away. A little bit later in life, 
David would write Psalm 37, which I'm going to preach on next week, Lord willing. He would write in verse 25, I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. While Jesus was on the earth and alive in his human body before the crucifixion and resurrection, he taught that God takes care of the birds of the air. Have you seen some of the beautiful birds, the, the, the feathers, the colors, the, the beauty of them? He takes care of them, and he takes care of the flowers of the field, some of the most beautiful wild flowers. They're not even planted by us. They just grow, and, and they're incredibly beautiful. God takes care of those flowers of the field. He takes care of the birds of the air. He's going to take care of you. In Philippians 4, verse 19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So David just simply says it this way. A couple of thousand years before Paul says it, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord Jehovah God shepherds me. I will not need anything more than what he provides. Sadly, some never seem to be content in the pasture that our shepherd provides, and they continually try to get to the other side of the fence. That proverbial grass always looks greener on the other side of the fence. It matters not that the pasture is not as good because it has poisonous weeds, it has snakes, it has burrs and thistles, but you can't see that when you're looking over it. It looks pretty good. It matters not that that shepherd doesn't care for the sheep. My shepherd cares for his sheep. That shepherd wants to destroy. He is a destroyer. It makes no difference. There are dangers of all sorts over there. We somehow and for some reason want to go there. Some insist on escaping the prepared pasture. For a literal shepherd with literal sheep, there's a remedy. A sheep who keeps getting out of the fenced-in area or keeps getting away from the flock and endangers itself either falls prey to the dangers of the other side or guess what? Now, this is going to sound awful. This is going to sound cruel, okay? But a sheep who keeps getting away, a sheep who keeps wandering off, a sheep who keeps... He's going to get devoured or he's going to die somewhere. So the shepherd will break its leg. Well, that's not very... That's not very good. But in breaking its leg, then while that sheep is mending and knitting back together, it stays with the shepherd full time because it can't go anywhere on its own. And it develops a bond with the shepherd so that when the leg is healed, the theory, the idea is that sheep will not wander off anymore. And some of us have been through that leg breaking time. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and chastens. Okay. Preacher, we're, we, we live in a different age now. We, we don't believe in that kind of stuff. Well, my parents believed in it. My mom, in fact, she was so mean, she would make me go out and pick my switch. You young people here don't even know what a switch is. You think it's something you turn lights on and off with. It was actually something that would knock the lights out of you is what it was. I'd go out and have to pick a switch. If I didn't get a good switch, if it broke too soon, I'd have to go get another one. She'd use that one on me too. You say, well, that's cruel. That's child endangerment. No, she was trying to teach me that if I do something, if I do wrong things, if I don't obey my parents and don't obey the law and don't obey the authorities over us, I'm going to get in trouble and it could be, it could cost me my life. And I thank God for that. I thank God I had parents like that. So the shepherd 
might actually break the, the lamb's leg to keep it from wandering off so that it will knit and have that bond with the shepherd. But can I go one step further than that? And this is really, this is really serious. If that sheep, when its leg was mended, continued to wander off, the danger is other sheep would follow. And so the shepherd sometimes actually had to take the life of the sheep for the sake of the flock. What am I saying? The Lord chastens, the Lord chastens, the Lord chastens. If we don't listen to God, there can be a point in time, I believe, when God says, that's enough. I'm just going to take you on home. You say, preacher, you trying to scare me? No, I'm just reading the word of God. It scares me. I don't want to be out of God's will. I don't want to be trying to get to the other pasture. I don't want to be going astray. I want to stay with a shepherd who loves me, cares for me, and provides for me everything I need in this life and in the life to come. How about you? Would you bow your heads, please? Every head bow, the Lord is my shepherd. Is he yours? If the Lord Jesus Christ is your shepherd today because you have been born again and you know you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you know that if you died today, you'd be in heaven. If you know that with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you raise your hand up real high just for a moment? Hold it up real high. Preacher, I know if I died, I'd be in heaven. I'm sure of that. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for sharing that. You can put your hands down. Is there anybody here who would say, Preacher, I, I couldn't raise my hand. I'm not going to lie about it. I, I don't know for sure if I died that I'd be in heaven. I'm not sure about all of that. I'm not sure that I'm ready to make that kind of a commitment, but I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I'm not sure if I died today that I'd be in heaven tonight, but I don't mind you praying for me. If that's, your, if that's you talking, would you raise your hand? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just hold it up for a minute. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure if I died that I'd go to heaven, but I am concerned. Our Father, we're so grateful so thankful. Well, we don't even begin to understand, I don't think, what a tremendous shepherd your son is. But Father, as far as we can grasp it and understand it, we thank you for it. And I ask you, Lord, to bless each person. I pray, God, that right now, if someone's going through a tough time, they might realize that you care even when it seems like you don't even know what's going on that we would understand if we're going through trials and tribulations and difficulties and maybe some chastening, it's ultimately for our own good. Sometimes it's just a matter of bad things happen to everyone. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. A lot of Christians that are going through serious persecution in a lot of places right now, losing their lives, awful things happening. So, Lord, we're so thankful that your promises aren't just for this life, but for the life to come. So, Lord, help us to trust you completely and to take solace and comfort in the fact that the Lord shepherds us. We need not want. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? I'm going to ask this.
I'm going to ask as we stand, we're going to have a, a verse or two of invitation. Now I'm going to ask, uh, Fitz, would you, would you go to the back and Pat's back there and Rachel's back there in the back. And if you have a special need today, I'm going to try something. It's hard to get people to come forward. Maybe we can get people to go back. You just act like you're going, go, I'm just going to the bathroom. And stop and talk to one of the counselors, okay? I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to be goofy. I want to make it easy for you to do what God wants you to do. I want more than anything, I want you to get back close to God, or I want you to trust him for the very first time. Fitz is back there. Rachel's back there. Pat's back there. If you need somebody else, we'll, we'll send somebody else back. But as we sing, come on right now. Do what God wants you to do. If you're in the middle of an aisle, dismiss yourself and, and go right back there and talk to him. Just go ahead and do it as we sing. Come on.